0: Welcome to the T's and C's,
1: Tiso and Chantel,
0: also known as the Terms and Conditions.
1: We are in week seven of this weekly sociological, yeah, political ponderings about this global pandemic and COVID-19. We are really excited to be joined by another podcast alumni, someone who we really look up to and really admire adam elliott cooper hello adam
2: hi guys thanks for being on today yeah great great, to see you i'm doing good i'm doing good considering
1: as a expert in the field we would like you tell us what are the things that we should be thinking about with regards to criminal justice and policing as a result of this new legislation that's come through just the general situation with the global pandemic and how unevenly lockdown is felt and how unevenly COVID-19 is being and will be policed and I guess thinking about things prior to the pandemic during the pandemic and what questions we should be asking beyond the pandemic
2: it's a big question but it's a good one so I think that generally what we're seeing with the police uh, during lockdown is, is a lot of policing we're familiar with. Uh, so a lot of people being stopped, a lot of people being questioned, being searched, um, having their vehicles pulled over, uh, being questioned, having their vehicles being searched, all of that kind of stuff. Um, people being arrested. But of course, under the lockdown, pe- um, there are a lot more police on the beach. There are far more, um, it's a far higher likelihood that people are going to be stopped and questioned and potentially searched or arrested. So we're seeing kind of the same, but a lot worse. Um, I think we're seeing, I think it's a lot worse than it was before for maybe for two or three reasons. Firstly, I think it's, of course, it's because the police have a, a lot more powers now. They have a lot more powers to stop, to search, to question people, to issue fines, to arrest people, more powers than they've had in any of our lifetimes, potentially. I think the second thing is that there are far fewer witnesses around, right? so. Um, people are, um, There are less people around, so it's less likely for us to be able to um, uh, identify people and uh, identify when uh, the police are abusing their power or harassing people or anything like that. And I think the third thing is that a lot of the powers are quite ambiguous, so we don't really know. When the police are abusing their power, when they're not. So the new legislation is quite ambiguous. So it's even difficult for lawyers to determine these types of things. The police don't really know their own powers. So, for instance, over 3,000 fines had to be rescinded because they've been giving out fines to children, which are unlawful. And, of course, the general public a lot of the time don't know their own powers as well, right? And if the general public don't know what powers the police have, again, it's more likely that they're going to be abused. So we're seeing a real escalation in these kinds of problems of surveillance, harassment, wrongful arrest, wrongful issuing of fines, um, all of the kind of problems that we're accustomed to just being magnified under the the current crisis.
0: Given that this is an an extreme circumstance and have these new powers, are, are they codified everywhere? But you just kind of said to the point that they're... They're kind of ambiguous and vague so what what are the powers are they general
2: okay so the new powers really are to make sure that people respects the lockdown right so the question is when are we allowed to go outside we're allowed to go outside to work we're allowed to go outside to exercise we're allowed to go outside to deliver medicine or essentials to a family member and of course we're allowed to go outside to get essential food and medicine and stuff for ourselves but then there's lots of other kind of greyer areas right so uh, Say, thing instance, if you're a child and your parents are separated, you're allowed to travel from one of their houses to the other house. Um, if you have special educational needs, for instance, if you have autism, uh, you're allowed out um, more than once a day, not necessarily to exercise, but just to be outside. You're allowed to leave the house if you're fleeing harm or violence um, within the home, right? So there's lots of different um, reasons that people can legitimately and lawfully be out of the house but the police aren't really aware of a lot of them and so very often particularly for the most vulnerable people people who might be fleeing violence or have a disability or and mental health problems—all of these types of things. Uh, not only are they more likely to be out of the house, but also they're more likely to come into contact with the police and be vulnerable to being uh, abused by the police as well.
1: I knew that Adam was come with the facts and the important analysis, but I knew it was just going to be an instant trigger the minute he started talking because it's like <laughs> he's specifying like exactly what my sort of ongoing fears have been, and what I think is really interesting about what you say, Adam, is. For me, living in southwest London, the increased police presence is so stark. I don't know what it's like across the UK. Like My mum lives in the suburbs in Birmingham and she says there's not that many around. But in this part of the city, they are everywhere. And I know that this isn't the job for everyone to do and some people don't feel as comfortable doing this. But one of the things that I've been doing is when I've been going running and when I've been exercising, it's just standing near-ish to the police when they've been stopping cars. Literally, every single time I go running, and that is five days a week, I see the police stopping cars, usually a person of colour, a black person in the car, and I, you just don't... I can't obviously fully get involved, but I just stand and watch because, like you say, the thing about witnesses, like, there's no one around. Well, there's fewer people around.
2: Yeah, you're completely right. Um, and we've seen a massive proliferation of videos online of uh, the police abusing their powers in ways that are a lot more wayward and bold than we've seen um in recent years i think right so popular cases recently was one i think it was lancashire police where the police officer just stops pulls over someone and the young man just says well i haven't done anything wrong and the police officer just says well i'll make something up when i who who are they going to believe me or you (laughs) and and (laughs) someone just catches and someone just catches that on camera and just right, and puts it on, on all over the Internet. And you're constantly seeing the police not really know what their new powers are. I mean, at the best of times, the police don't really understand what their powers are. We'll use very, very flippant reasons to stop and search someone. Oh, I can smell cannabis. Oh, I can. You know, you fit a description. Right. But now it's, this has been taken to a new level with these new powers. So, for instance, a young man was uh, flying a kite in a field on his own and the police approached him. And they said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm flying a kite. This is my daily exercise. And they said, oh, that's not exercise. That's a leisure activity. Go home. Which is, again, completely made up, right? The the police are just arbitrarily creating these divisions between what they consider to be legitimate exercise and what they consider to be um, a leisure activity. And so, again, they're kind of just making things up as they go. And we're seeing possibly a greater uh, abuse of power than than we might be accustomed to um, in a
0: non-lockdown environment. Groups that are not accustomed to police exercising arbitrary power in their lives, how do they feel about this? How are they reacting? Because the people that I'm seeing on the videos online sometimes don't fall into that normal category of police harassment, right? So it's a kind of a new thing for them. And so this is what's interesting So groups that were never, were never traditionally victims of police harassment are now becoming those groups. Yeah then.
2: I think that's I think I think that's really interesting. So when when we first saw the lockdown um, announced quite interestingly a lot of senior police officers um were saying we don't want these powers. We don't want to be yes. responsible for having to yes. police the lockdown. And I think that's really interesting because what they effectively what they effectively realized was that imposing this lockdown wouldn't just alienate the communities that they're accustomed to alienating. They were going to have to start alienating the communities which usually are on their side, right? So um, mm-hmm. officers are basically going into parks full of middle class people, and as soon as yep. the police arrive, everyone runs, and they're not used to having middle aged middle class people
0: see the cops <laughs> and run.
2: Right? Well, what <laughs> I'm saying. Not normal. People,
0: they're shocked from it, and they're like, it's, it's a weird dynamic because people, are, people that are not accustomed, and so their reaction is sometimes they're in shock. Like the police are kind of like putting pressure on them, and they're like, well, why are you harassing me? And it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see, like you know.
2: A woman called Derricka Pennell, based in the US, who does writes a lot about policing, wrote something recently that I thought was important. She said, um, white people keep saying, you know, during the lockdown, you know, of all the policing happening, you know, this is what it feels like to be black. But it's not. This That's not the point. If this isn't what it feels like to be black. This is just what policing feels like. This is what policing feels like. This is what policing is for. The reason that you don't experience it is because you don't experience policing. And that's, hmm. I think that's a really important point to make. Now, it's not the point that everyone feels like what it's like to be black. No, that's not what ha- is happening. What they're feeling hmm. is policing for the first time. And I think it's a, it may well be a very formative experience for, for a lot of people. They're feeling what exactly what it is this
0: institution is made to, to, to do. I think most people... Don't feel their state in their lives in such an intrusive way exactly. so normally from, from the stereotypes you see on tv the state's involved in people's life in terms of welfare or policing right and for the first time if middle class people the state normally comes involved if it's like a tax dodge but it's never in this kind of way so the state in your life in this way is it, shocking for some people you know to feel it what do you,
1: what do you mean by that Tim?
0: So, you got, so middle-class people, like when they're doing tax dodging and, and they get tax evasion, the state might get involved, in, like as in the silver service, inland revenue.
1: Oh, uh, you mean it's more like a, they're more used to sort of like corporate police. Yeah,
0: everything's there. Yeah, 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 like
1: which that. Doesn't, which doesn't necessarily equate to being harassed. Police. Like, physically yes. it, yeah. Uh-huh. I think you're
2: right. I think you're right. I mean, it's yeah, it's um, it's for the first time um white collar crime isn't just happening you know in the uh, in the offices right um people who are yeah. white collar workers are feeling harassed and scared and almost paranoid of the police when they're going about their day-to-day business right i mean my brother works for the nhs and the police are there at the train station just asking everyone um you know where, where, why are you getting on the train what, what are you doing Right. Right. Which could be quite intimate. Even my brother, who's an NHS worker, he's like, you know, he's got to show his badge. Right? He's like, you know, I work on a hospital, I'm a frontline worker. Um, but if, if you haven't got a badge, you know, you're going to you know, look after an LD relative or anything like that. You've got to explain your day to day existence right, to a uniformed officer. Again, for a lot of people, that'll be the first time that they experience that. And I, but I think it's really important for us to affirm this isn't what it feels like to be working class. This isn't what it feels like to be black. This is what it feels like to be policed think that's what's really important here
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what things do you think we should be thinking about in terms of this legislation beyond covid19 and as the lockdown i mean they're making noises about things being relaxed but let's there's obviously a lot of water to go under the bridge like can this sort of legislation be rolled back what would that look like
2: I i think it's difficult to say how much um because I know it's emergency legislation. And so I imagine as soon as the uh, lockdown is lifted, uh, the, you know, the powers of the police to arbitrarily fine people for being out of the house will also be lifted as well. But I think it's very, very difficult to say. And I think that there will be certain powers which may remain. So just things like dispersal orders being used more frequently. Um, things like um, the, the confidence of the police to ask people where it is that they're going, and for people to feel like they have to give an explanation um, for what it is, where it is they're going and what it is that they're doing, even in, uh, even in a, dare I say it, post-pandemic world, if, if we ever... It feels quite premature to say that now, but once the mm-hmm. lockdown is lifted, I think, that, I think that people might still feel obliged to uh, answer, ask, answer these kinds of questions from the police, and I think the police might, are likely to still feel empowered to impose themselves on the daily routines and lives of ordinary people in this kind of way. Um, and I think that's something that people need to remain I guess vigilant about in the, in the coming guess- months and years
1: sort of more anecdotally when I'm seeing them just hanging around the corners around my roads and near the parks near me like they're in groups and they're just sort of like hanging out and having a laugh and I just find it so like I don't know it just feels really dodgy like I know they do that like regardless of a pandemic but it just feels very intimidated it makes me uncomfortable like they do anyway but just seeing them there's so many of them but just in groups together and when they're stopping people they're in groups as well and it's like there's still that that I think you've spoken about this Adam like the amount of people that are police officers that it takes to question or stop one person like it just feels very exasperated and much more I don't know, pernicious, particularly because we know that there's a virus as well. It just feels, and they like, also, I don't know if this is true for all of them, but a lot of the police around here where I live they're not wearing masks, they're not wearing gloves. So obviously that might be an issue with PPE as we know that's, yeah, not being distributed ad- adequately. But just even their presence, it just feels a bit dodgy right now. It reminds
2: me of when I was, um, I watched a video recently of uh, the Territorial Support Group, which is uh, generally used for if there's public disorder and rioting and that kind of stuff, who are now just patrolling parts of North London, patrolling Fensley Park, patrolling different um, areas, of the capital um, in ways as if there is this kind of imminent public disorder, this imminent uprising, this imminent rebellion uh, about to uh, erupt. Right? Usually you only see for group like around, you know, football matches where there might be violence or really big protests where there might be direct action and, and buildings might be damaged uh, or, you know, during the 2011 riots. This is, these are the kind of moments in which we see territorial support group um, uh, kind of emerging. But now this, they seem to be patrolling our streets routinely. I worry again that this might be, become the new normal once the lockdown is lifted.
0: I think I agree with you about some of the powers that they have will kind of continue and move into something new, right? This kind of thing about who gets police. So once we go forward in this kind of post-pandemic space, everyone's got to wear masks, right? So as a community that's always under suspicion, me covering my face means something different to, say, a white middle class covering their face. And so I'm wondering if that could be a future area of concern because if they still have these arbitrary powers, but everyone's wearing masks, but masks are not, a, they're not an equaliser am still viewed differently in society. So I was thinking maybe that's one of the possible problems that we could see going along the lines.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's um, particularly personal given how much the police is now relying on new technologies, particularly things like facial recognition technologies, um, other forms of CCTV, all of these types of surveillance data gathering uh, technology which rely on us not having our faces covered, right? Which is why... Dru artists and Muslim women are both so threatening to this new kind of policing regime, potentially. Um, and so um, I, I, I think that if it now becomes the new normal to, for people to um, be able to wear these kind uh, to wear masks for medical reasons, for public health reasons, I think Partly, we might see um, a kind of policing of what kind of masks are considered legitimate and what kind of masks or face coverings aren't. Potentially, I, I don't know. I'm speculating. Right. Well, also, you've got, you know, you're wearing a balaclava, but that's the wrong type of uh, face covering. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but you've got the proper, you've got the proper PPE that's been like certified by the National Health Service. So, you know, on your way, good could and so that could be one particular thing, uh, way around it, but it also could be used subversively and it could be a way of the general public pushing back generally on this new kind of surveillance technology which is being rolled out by the net Police without any kind of serious government oversight or public consultation.
0: Well, and this is the thing that scares me. So one on one aspect, we've, we've come aware that our image has power. So we, we are aware that our image can be appropriated for different reasons. And I've kind of looked to kind of extend that kind of uh, parallel into this idea of this new thing they want to do is contact tracing of trying to follow people around who've got the who may have the virus so yeah. the two ways they've got about it is that Google and Apple have gone through what they call a decentralized model, so using their technology, but the government's going to try to go for a centralized model which have, will have everyone's data on a record effectively right so yeah. it could be open that this the police could have access to these records right and yeah. this again people people always Quite, especially in the UK about the snoopers bill, about being watched, about being surveilled, this is a very kind of big issue. We didn't want ID cards, we have all this kind of stuff that's bubbling around and when you kind of spoken to this idea that this, this ambiguous nature of these powers and could they be could they be misconstrued or misused in the future, it's quite worrying in this kind of particular space where everything's in flux.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I think this is certainly is going to be a new opportunity for uh, people's kind of biometric data, so Um, you know, their health data, their DNA, all of that kind of stuff um, to be used in ways that are uh, presented to us as being for a public good, but are also, of course, going to be used for the best greater control, you know, and fewer civil liberties and, and privacy for, for general citizens. And I think people should think really, really carefully about how much information it is that they give over to the government. And, and I think it's a really difficult situation, right, because I think we were kind of talking about this before we started the podcast. People are people are very almost instinctively suspicious of government and they're instinctively suspicious of uh, the kind of um, health provisions that are being offered and potentially made mandatory right so you have all of this concern around you know is this a real vaccine or is this going to be something which um is going to be detrimental to our health whether it be our physical health or our social health whilst so there is this kind of i think quite um uh fair and 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 probably quite predictable um uh suspicion from what the government is trying to do. But it's about where it is that that suspicion um, is directed and how it's acted upon. And I think there's a lot more suspicion of things like the vaccine than there is potentially of the kind of uh, data gathering um, yeah. technologies that the government Yeah, developing. exactly.
1: That's such a good point. Oh, my God, this is depressing. <laughs> OK, come, before, we, before we go, Adam, there's a couple of something bits positive.
2: Something that you said. Something positive,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's a um, couple of bits that I think show the possibility of hope or the possibility of some good things coming out of this?
2: So, so I think the possibility of hope certainly is the fact that for the first time, I think five or six of the big um, police monitoring organisations have come together on one project. So the Monitoring Group, the Network for Police Monitoring, the Northern Police Monitoring Project, and London Campaign Against Police and State Violence um, have all come together, as well as some youth, a number of different youth groups, um, including Account and a few others have all come together to put together a project to h- try to challenge what the police are doing at the moment and equip young people with the tools and skills and confidence to try to hold the police to account. So this is the first time all of these groups have actually come together. We know about each other's work and we've been you know, overlapping over many, many years now. But this is the first time we've all been in meetings together and been like, right, we're all going to channel our energies and resources onto one really important project. And so people coming together in big coalitions, realising how much of what this crisis really means I think is a really great opportunity and I hope that after the lockdown we can still continue to work together to challenge what what new powers the police and the state have and so I think that's really really encouraging. I think the second thing is probably more broad than that right so we've got a lot of um, mutual aid groups arising as well at the same time and what people are realising from these mutual aid groups is that this government really doesn't, isn't providing the resources and care whether it be social care or health care um, for the people who need it most and it's about people coming together not necessarily in a charitable way but in a, in a, in, a, in out reaching out in solidarity um, realizing that we have to rely on each other and create these kinds of independent community organizations in ways that, that support each other but also in ways that I guess work against um, the kind of The norms of individualism, the norms of only looking out for yourself or the norms of only relying on uh, big corporate NGOs to kind of administer um, and dish out how charity functions. This is this is you know, this is mutual support from the from the from the ground up rather than the big kind of corporate charities that we're that we're supposed to. Uh, rely on to decide how our our time and our money is spent and i think that's something that hopefully we can hold on to going
1: that's made me feel a little bit more optimistic and you're right like these coalitions of pressure of groups of activists of organizers coming together like that's amazing about all the monitoring groups like that's incredible so it's going to be so good to see what you guys are able to do i hope so thank you so much for joining us adam thank you guys for listening and we'll be back again next week bye
0: bye bye